0: This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson at ZenChicago.org. Good evening. So what I want to talk about tonight is finding the way. And uh, it's not always so easy to know the way and it's not always clear, how do we get back to it once we've lost it? We know that Dogen said, if there's the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. And as if that wasn't enough, he also warned us, if you make one misstep, you go astray from the way directly before you. It makes it sound like the way is a pretty precarious proposition. So tonight I want to look at what is it to lose the way? And I'd like to talk about how do we know when we've lost the way? And how do we recover it? And I know everybody in the room has some experience with both of those things. So uh, perhaps when we get to the discussion, um, you might share something that you've learned about finding your way back to the way during our discussion. I recently read a passage in a novel about a man who was driving and he suddenly found himself unexpectedly near his destination. The author wrote, he was thinking and remembering, and he must have been lost in it. It's a wonder that he could have been so abstracted and knew his routine so well. He must have maneuvered through minor and major throngs maybe waved at people, maybe pulled around, stopped vehicles, all without interrupting the flow of musing and memory. It was one of his talents, his wife had told him. Our talent is to somehow negotiate the world on automatic pilot Well, we are totally absorbed in our stories, in our imagination. It's a hell of a superpower to have. We have the capacity to go about living our lives in complete ignorance. Of course, Zazen shows this to us very clearly. This morning, Zazen I was aware that I became, you know, wrapped up in some train of thought. And when I emerged from it, uh, I asked myself a question that I sometimes do ask myself, which is, which world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in this world? You know, which is pretty repetitive when it comes right down to it do you want to live in this world with all of its richness and its ever-changing variety it helps when we lose the way to get in touch with what's really important to us even in a small way like that that i've described in sasad One thing that I've read that helps us to know what it is to lose the way comes from 13th century China. There were some monks that Dogen was talking with when he was in China. And the monks dissuaded him from asking a particular senior monk in the monastery. For for his understanding of a Dharma dilemma. Monks felt like he wouldn't be able to give a good answer. In fact, what they said about him was, he has no nostrils, which is great. What, what, a, what a put down. He has no nostrils. He doesn't have what he needs for the first move in Zen, which is to take a mindful breath. And most importantly, to let it go. We do this. We take a, a breath consciously, deliberately, and we let it go. And while we're at it, we also let go of our self preoccupation. We try to be present with a cleaner slate than we normally have. We don't try to wipe the slate clean. We just drop it. And if you do that in your zazen or in your life, and it brings you some joy, then you know you regained the way. You came into contact with the inexhaustible resource of reality. One of our sangha, a few days ago, asked a question about mouth yoga, um, which Thich Han always recommended in uh, Zazen. He meant by mouth yoga, you should let yourself smile a little bit in Zazen. He thought this was very good practice. He asked me what I thought of it. And and I have to say, I think, In our zazen, we're not trying to create any particular experience. So I'm not a huge fan of it if we're trying to, like, make ourselves happy by doing that. But I'll say this. If we find ourselves enjoying even a moment of our zazen and we want to smile, we know we're on the right track. The core of our practice is having nostrils, being able to get past the wall of imagination and thought that's almost always right before us, being able to disentangle ourselves from what the ancients called the forest of thorns. When it's over, I want to say all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Have you noticed that Mary Oliver really had a way with words? There's two questions. It can always help to ground us and to orient us to the way. These questions are, what is right here? And what does it require of me? I've been teaching these two questions for a decade or more. I didn't actually make it up myself. The first question comes from a fascicle by dogen where he says in response to the question what is right here the way actualizes and buddha ancestors emerge he's saying that what is right here is the practice of buddhas and ancestors and In actualizing their teaching and practice, we become Buddhas and ancestors. I realized when I was putting this talk together that that question, what is right here? And the question that I've added to it, what does it require of us? Was actually the pattern of Buddha's first sermon. Sermon where he preached the four noble truths, which, you know, as the Heart Sutra says, uh, the truth of suffering, the origin of suffering, the cessation of stopping, and the path to the cessation of stopping. Heart Sutra puts it in negative. No suffering, no origination, no stopping, no path. But he he taught that those were the four elements that uh, we can discern for how do we get to the end of suffering. And he said, each one requires that we do something in response to it. The truth of suffering requires that we acknowledge our suffering. The truth of the origin of suffering requires that we understand the cause of our suffering. The truth of stopping requires that we relinquish the cause of our suffering. And the truth of the path requires that we actualize it. So we have this question, what is right here? And its corollary, what does it require of us? And I recently realized that we are always asking a version of what is right here, anyway, even whether we've practiced or not. But if we haven't practiced, it's not quite that. It's more like, what is it? It's not exactly the same as in practice, where we ask, what is right here? but it's more, what is it, what's going on? It's pretty much our nature as human beings to question. In our practice, what we need to do is learn how to convert that um, question, what, what is it, into what is right here? How to ask our question in the context of our practice and our vow. Because many times the question that questions that we habitually ask of ourselves in the world are the source of our conflicts and our ignorance. Recently, a person was telling some of us, um, this is a person who came to the U.S. having grown up in another country and speaking a different language. And he recently gave us a very important insight. He said, when you're different, you are never far from the question, am I being disrespected? That really struck me. What an illustration of how our circumstances are conditioning orients us to be alert to certain questions in our lives. And this person was telling us that any hint of being disrespected being disrespected even any ambiguity would bring the question to the fore. This is the karmically colored version of what is right here. It's really more, what is it? And it always comes up unconsciously, colored by our preoccupations and our conditioning. So in our practice, we should try to recognize are reflexive preoccupations. Are we preoccupied with doing things right? Are we preoccupied with being treated fairly? Are we preoccupied with um, getting more than others do? How we ask our question is like a fork in the path. It can take us further into ignorance, or it can take us into the clearing. It can take us to allowing body and mind to drop away. So what is right here that I'm talking about does not call for any measurement or description. It calls first for nostrils. Our practice arises at the intersection of our karma and our nostrils. During Zazen, I can look and see people really trying their best to practice and also living out their karma. That's all of us, all the time. In Zazen, I can see it because I know everybody is trying to sit upright and still during Zazen. But you know our karma doesn't always allow that sometimes you know our our knees are hurting too much or our back hurts or whatever, so I can see everyone is at the at the intersection at the crossroads of karma. And our nostrils. And so our practice is really one of trying to lean towards the the question really, what is right here? And away from whatever our preoccupation would have us ask of the world. In zazen, we are repeatedly finding our nostrils And each time we do this, we drop some of our preoccupations, some of our self-concern. The what is right here that I'm recommending is a reminder to get underneath our usual way of encountering the world. What if I drop what I think I know about this and encounter it with less bias? Let's try that. Ultimately, in Zazen, what is right here eventually has no answer. And So this other question, what does it require of us? A lot of times, what our life requires of us needs investigation step by step another person a few days ago was telling some of us that um, he, he was uh, at the dock where his boat was he has a sailboat and there was a person like across or next to him I'm not sure which um, who had a a, um, a motorboat And this person was playing music extremely loudly, or at least to our friends uh, viewpoint, it was extremely loud. And uh, the rules of the um, of the harbor is are that you can't play music loudly. And my friend was getting kind of agitated. He didn't like the music. He didn't like that. The guy was breaking the rules. He didn't like being intruded upon. so he thought i'm gonna go over and talk to that guy and you can imagine how well it went it did not go well at all it was really contentious and one of the first things this fellow did he called my friend a racist um this fellow was from some other country uh our friend didn't didn't know what but uh, He felt like uh, our friend was a racist and confronted him. And so this discussion got pretty heated and our friend kind of backed off from it and went back to his own vote, but he was stewing about it, right? Trying to think, how how is he gonna resolve this situation? And he, he went back and had another attempt at a conversation. And again, it really did not start out all that well, but at some point in the conversation, our friend just kind of dropped what whatever point he was trying to make at the time. He put his hands together and he bowed. And as soon as he did that, the whole tone changed. If someone bows to you, it's almost impossible not to feel respected. And our friend, didn't think this through and think, oh, what I need to do is bow. It's really that his body told him. The only thing I can do here is bow. And he did, and it totally resolved the situation. The fellow offered him a beer. They they were pals after that. And I say this to show you, if he was asking the question, what is right here? It took several iterations to really get to it. Right his first approach was to what is right here, and what does it require me uh, of me well, he said it was at first he thought the situation he was facing was rule breaking. And it required him to set things right. And then, when he realized that that didn't work and he thought he needed to resolve the interaction somehow. He he felt that what is right here was his ongoing agitation. And he knew it needed some kind of resolution, it needed to be addressed somehow. But he still didn't know how to do it. But eventually his body knew how to do it. He knew, it knew what was required. So What I'm suggesting is we take this layered approach to discovering what is right here, and what does it require of me? I was walking to Starbucks yesterday, and uh, often when I've been walking, I've been having some leg pain. Um, Not very pleasant. Uh, And when I started out on our walk, I know, I had the question in my mind, not what is right here, but what would my pain be like during this walk? That's the karmic version. What is it? You know, it's even, what is it going to be? Who would ever know that? But that's the question that I started out with. What would my pain be like, and you can imagine that that was not a question that really helped me have this walk. So eventually, what I noticed was I was in a amount of pain and my mind was telling a story about being in pain. And I said to myself, what does this require of me? And at some level, I said to myself, well, It requires that I go beyond the story. It requires that I grow some nostrils. So then I tried to come closer to what was happening. What is right here? While I was walking and I was having some sensations and I was not liking those sensations. And I was telling a story about how, how difficult this was. And I asked myself, is that really what's required of me in this situation, to do those things? I've experienced these things. And what else am I experiencing? I said to myself, what else is right here? And you know, as soon as I reoriented myself, my pain didn't like disappear. It really got better, because I wasn't only focused on that thing and telling the story about it. I tried to open up to what else was going on. I, I took a breath, I used my nostrils and I was able to have a different experience because of that. Interestingly enough, when I was walking home from Starbucks, I had no pain whatever, nearly the whole way. So it's nothing dramatic. It's just everyday practice. It's the everyday ways in which we slip off the way and we find our way back to the way.